0: Hi, listeners. You can now listen to this community podcast production ad-free on Apple Podcasts and access the podcast one week early and get exclusive bonus content. Just hit the subscribe button now on Apple Podcasts. Or if you want access to all of the above, plus video versions of the podcast, head to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing.
1: On the morning of August 1st, 1966, Shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America.
0: I'm Sarah Ferris, true crime podcaster.
2: And I'm Catherine Schweit, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program.
0: And you're listening to Stop the Killing. Welcome back to this bonus episode of Stop the Killing. We've got some exciting news for you today, but... First, a little heads up. This week's bonus content is going to be the last that non-subscribers will have access to. So if you're not an Apple subscriber or a Patreon supporter, you won't want to miss out on all the bonus content we have coming this season. We've got some amazing things in store for you, including a series where we put Catherine's new book, how to talk about guns with anyone to the test in the real world. But that's not all. We're also launching season four of the podcast next Thursday, and it's chocker full of incredible guests. We're kicking things off with a crossover series with Bob Motta from the Defence Diaries podcast, where we'll be discussing the differences between serial killers and mass killers. And if you don't know who Bob Motta is, well you won't actually believe the connection he's got to one of the most infamous serial killers of the 20th century. So stay tuned for that. Or if you can't wait, you can listen now on Apple Plus or Patreon ad-free in one week early. Now, our bonus episodes will continue to drop on Tuesdays throughout the season on both Apple Plus and Patreon, bringing you the latest updates on cases that are making headlines. We'll also have special guests joining us to discuss cases as they unfold like we did in the recent Covenant school shooting in Nashville, Tennessee with Nashville 911 dispatcher Brandon Hall who was actually working that day and on the front lines during the tragedy. So if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and want to stay in the loop on all our bonus content hit the subscribe button now and if you're looking for even more exclusive content head over to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing to watch the video version of the episodes and also become part of our discord community. As an aside, we're actually planning on doing a live Q&A and we'll be releasing details exclusively on our social media. So keep an eye out on our Instagram account at stop the killing stories for the details in the coming weeks. Don't miss out on all the exciting things that we've got coming up in store for you this season. Finally, a massive thank you to our newest Patreon members. They are Gary Gannon, Barbara Lawyer, Emily Romwell, and Autumn Bible. Awesome name. That was a lot of admin to get through, but trust me, it will be worth it for this week's episode because it started off with just a casual conversation between Catherine and I, and it ends up going in quite a different direction than I thought it was going to go. And uh, we end up in a super intriguing story time with Catherine. So Catherine, it's getting kind of late in the evening where I am. It's so dark here that you can hardly see me in the light at the moment if you're watching this on video. I wanted to pick up on something that we talked about last time that You probably didn't remember, but I was like, I've got to ask her these questions. No
2: idea what you're talking about. Good.
0: I'm coming at you. Um, Oh, no. It was on interview techniques by the FBI. And Mm -hmm. I was wondering if you could give us a little sneak behind the scenes of the interview techniques that the FBI might use, as long as you're not going to, you know pull the mask down and ruin it for all of the FBI (laughs) agents in in America. But is there stuff that you can tell us that might be, you know, just a bit of a... I I can try. But you did say one the other day that I thought was fascinating and it was something along the lines of you always ask the second question. Tell us a bit about that.
2: Well, you know, at the FBI, the training as an agent, you are taught the interview and interrogation course that you take for all the weeks you're there. You're taught how to, you know, eek information out the right way and legally and all of that. Now, I came into the FBI Academy. I was a prosecutor, but before that, I was a journalist. So, I went to Mm. college to learn how to interview people. And I spent years interviewing people. So, when I went to the FBI Academy, I was kind of like, well, I know how to do that. But then I learned some other cool techniques. And one of them is ask the second question first. So... Can you
0: give us an example
2: of that, please? I'm going to say this. Here's a perfect example for you to use on one of your children. This is brilliant.
0: They're going to love this.
2: (laughs) So, yes, they don't listen to our podcast, so they won't know the
0: difference. (laughs) I don't listen to (sighs) anything I do. Exactly.
2: Exactly. So if you say, did you take the cookies? Then they would say, I never took those cookies. But like if, an exact
0: conversation that's happened earlier today right, in my house.
2: Exactly. There you go. But if you said, so, did you like that kind of cookie? Oh, okay. Because I'll get more Then when they say, yes, they were good. They have already answered your first question.
0: No, it's it's the creepy little bit at the end, because I'll get more. It <laughs> <That> really <laughs> makes me realize I would probably pack myself if I was in the middle of an FBI interrogation with you.
2: See, that is exactly it though. Ooh. That because I'll get you more. Yeah. It's a it's a promise that's not a promise. Yeah. But it's enough to lure you in a little bit more. Interrogation oh, involves <laughs> wait until I work out the details of our exclusive and fantastically financially sound contract where we're going to make millions on this podcast and how I'm going to negotiate with you without your knowledge to get 90% of it and you're just going to get 10.
0: (laughs) Well, what's 90% of zero, Catherine? (laughs) Zero. Exactly. (laughs) You may have the dime. (laughs) Uh, All right. So give me a few more little tips then. Oh, and also also, before you mm -hmm. go any further, Tell me how long do you actually spend in the training for FBI and how much is spent on interrogation training? Oh,
2: interviewing and interrogation. Cause interview is just talking to somebody interrogating them is pulling the threads. Oh. So you have to learn how to do the interviewing. So you know how to do the interrogation. Sometimes you're interrogating somebody who isn't even like guilty of a crime, but you really need to get the information they have. And you just don't necessarily want them to know that you're interrogating them. <laughs> it's like, right. I, had, I had a guy speaking of guns. I was in the, our Milwaukee, Wisconsin office once, and I got a lead that they call it from Chicago. Okay, hey, Can you go find this guy? He's the person who we were able to trace was the last legal owner of this gun. So he must have sold it to somebody which is legal in the United States, without a transfer of any record. And it's called a private sale. And so I had to go find this guy, and he was at his office, but we really needed the information. So, you know, I didn't want to say anything in front of his boss. And so I just kind of had to say, hey, um, so it's a, does he work here? And, and, you know, the secretary is like, yeah, you know, do you need to see him? I'm like, yeah, you know, I just need to see him for some. Oh, is he in trouble? Cause, you know, I'm like showing a badge. Yeah. I'm, I'm like, sure. no, no. Oh, no. I'm showing that badge, that right there behind me. If you were watching us, you'd see my badge and credentials right behind me. Mm-hmm. If you go in there and you're like, hi, I'm with the FBI. You need to talk to me right now. People are like going out the back door. You got to tiptoe your way in. So at the academy, I was there for 20 weeks, but other classes might be there a little bit longer, a little bit less. And you spend like a third of your
0: training on how to talk to people.
2: That's
0: so good. Would you go in and go, did you like that gun? Because I can get you more. (laughs)
2: No, <laughs> no. When I no, And the reason in that case in Wisconsin, I had to go and talk to this guy who had this gun. I had to do the little drip, drip, drip to get to the point of last night that gun was used in a murder in Chicago and we what? need to know who had it. Right. You can't go in with no. that. He's you just have to go in. Coffee
0: break, crying out <laughs> exactly. Loud.
2: You have to go, you know, we're just kind of trying to piece something together. And I know you could help me out with this. So that's another big check tick box. investigations are all about time. You know, if you have all the time in the world to piece it together, that's fantastic. But we never do. When something bad happens, we want all the answers and the information yesterday. And the slower it takes us to get the information, the worse it is. I've worked on kidnappings. You know, you're not mincing words when you're talking to somebody trying to get information to find the six-year-old who's disappearing or one case I worked, an 88-year-old woman who had been kidnapped. You know, you want oh. answers... Right now, right.
0: Bores, are you able to tell us about that one? An (laughs) 88-year-old that was kidnapped.
2: Yeah, she was kidnapped for ransom.
0: Fill in a few of the blanks. Don't just leave me hanging.
2: Okay, so time out. There was an 88-year-old woman who was kidnapped in her home. She lived with her husband. They were both very old And they lived in a house that had first floor bedrooms to the left and the right of the front entryway. And they slept in separate bedrooms, you know, whatever the circumstances were. It's not uncommon. I think sometimes that happens. I
0: mean, sometimes you just don't want to listen to someone snoring.
2: Exactly. Although I will say that he was rather deaf. It could be though. But Um, Maybe he
0: was the snorer.
2: That could be. There you go. Good point. And so she was in her bed and Mr. Bad Guy came in. Kidnapped her, rolled her up in a carpet, and threw her in the back of the trunk of her own car.
0: Oh my God.
2: And drove the car away. Um, Yeah, it was pretty crazy. Pretty crazy. And so I get like a call on Monday morning from this law enforcement officer who I know in the county where this occurred. And he tells me all these facts that they have. And the facts they have is the woman is gone. Apparently, she's been gone for a day at least. Nobody reported it until a couple of days in.
0: Okay. The family
2: went to the house, didn't see the mom, asked the dad who said, uh, you know, I'm kind of half blind and I'm kind of half deaf and I don't know. Uh, she doesn't seem to be here and her car isn't here. And the family leaves the house and finds the car half a mile down in a cornfield in the snow
0: Wow. Okay. This is all kind of crazy.
2: And they trample all over that crime scene. That's my FBI whininess coming in there. I like, mean, thank as you would,
0: that ver- would be the first thing I would do is go looking. Right.
2: right. They trampled, right. So they left, they trampled all of that. I mean, he tells me, you know, seven facts in that 10 minute phone call. So I said, y- you have a kidnapping period. There isn't any other logical explanation because I did my best interrogation with him to get all the facts right away, keeping with the theme. So I called another agent who was closer and I said, we have a kidnapping. It's occurred here in this county. Can you go over there right now? Because time is of the essence. The woman is 88 years old. And so then you want to get every little detail that you can out of every single person. But in this case, the family wasn't being cooperative. They had owned a construction company that had things that would be set up on the roads, you know, barrels and other things that would block off traffic while construction was going on. And the barrels all had the family's last name, the surname printed on it. And in the end, the kidnappers clearly thought that the family had a lot of money.
0: Oh, so there was... Oh, okay. And I mean, I was so this, waiting for the penny to drop there. Like yeah. why you would kidnap an 88 year old.
2: So this was in fact, not the mother of the owner of the company, but the mother of his wife. The other thing is, in the house where the kidnapping occurred, the phone lines were cut outside. Right. Mm-hmm. Clearly a problem, right? Which yeah, is, that, so probably the, yeah. the family couldn't reach mom and dad. They mm-hmm. called and called the next day or later the next day or something. They showed up and asked dad, hey, you know, where's mom? And and he's like, I don't know. And they're like, well, we're trying to call you. And we find out that the phone lines are cut. When the FBI came in, we set up a whole command post with the county. They were fantastic. They understood that we just brought a ton of manpower in. And we were like canvassing fields all over the county and elsewhere. And we discover that the husband's parents, their phone lines had been cut in their house in the same county. So this kidnapper was clearly trying to get money from this family and knew that there were two sets of parents. So now here's what an investigator knows, right? Who would know that? The questions are, who has access to your house? Who has access to your family? And you don't ask the question, who would have done this? you say, who was the last person in this house? Can you account for all the family? And then who was the last person in this house? Because you never discount family even. And then who comes into this house regularly? And so who comes into somebody's house regularly? Who's an older folk?
0: Housekeeper.
2: Housekeepers. Mm -hmm. They live out in the country, in a big house.
0: No, Like people doing maintenance on the property
2: hmm property maintenance, landscapers. Right. I feel
0: like I haven't hit the right button yet because you're still nodding.
2: No, that's exactly what we do.
0: You're being an investigator. Okay. And that's what we do. So
2: we're saying, who comes into this house? Oh, Sally Jane comes into this house. She's our housekeeper. She hasn't been here in a while. Okay, now, do we think Sally Jane did it? Maybe. But now we want to know who is Sally Jane. And so we start hunting and pecking and figuring out as quick as we can. We interrogate Sally Jane and find out that she has a boyfriend. Uh-huh. So- who is aware of this client she has, who is the parent of this big construction company. So clearly they must have money. And then while we're doing that investigative work, a lot of times what we do in the FBI is we'll take an FBI agent and we'll take a local law enforcement officer. We'll pair them up because, right, it's two good programs that do and know different things. So local guys know every corner and every bartender and every gas station and whatever. And then we come in with different tools and so we pair up and we find Sally Jane and we find out she has this boyfriend. And then we look for the boyfriend. Where's the boyfriend? And we can't find him. In the process, there were ransom demands. This was back in the day when a lot of times people didn't even have internet in their house. Okay. The federal government's policy is they do not pay ransom.
0: With the family? Is it an option for the family to do that? It's an option for the family. Oh, okay. right?
2: And we work with them and we help them through that. But you know, if you want $2 million, the family can't liquidate $2 million, yeah. right? And a lot of times that's what happens. There aren't a lot of true kidnappings in the United States uh, mm-hmm. uh, on an annual basis, but there are a handful of them. And a lot of times a kidnapper will say, well, you're worth millions. I want $3 million. And, yeah. you know, you go to the bank and try to get $3 million in cash today, right? It's not. It's not happening. The bank doesn't even have the cash. Then you have to negotiate. Do you remember how much
0: the actual
2: demand was for? I think originally it was like for $450,000 or something like that. Okay. I'd have to go back and look, but it was for a, lot, a pretty big chunk of change and yeah. something that he couldn't liquidate. Uh, I think he mm-hmm. thought he could come up with like 60000 or something like that. And he was in the process of trying to come up with that. But while he was doing that, we were parallel tracking and chasing down one of the people who we thought might have been involved in it. And it turned out that we found these emails messages that were coming in to the president of the company. We trace them to internet cafes where people used to go and still exist in many places in the world. When you don't have access, you can go to an internet cafe and you can do your online work there. And imagine this, we have agents following a guy who we are concerned might be involved. And then we have email messages coming in. And then we find out an email message comes in. Well, he's at this internet cafe and then he gets his car and he leaves. We run inside the internet cafe. We pull up their surveillance. Here's a guy. He's sending a message. Our dad is on the other end getting a message, right? Wow. So back and forth, we pretty quickly put
0: together that this guy is our guy. What happens next though? Because you don't want to spook him. You need to find the the victim. Yeah. That's where it comes to great
2: interrogation, right? Because- What we did, in fact, was when we were pretty confident he was the person who had given the communications at the internet cafe. And when you have a person who's been kidnapped and you think that they're in threat of being killed, the attorney general, in this case herself, we had a female attorney general at the time, has to sign off on live access to phone recording and computer access. And so we could get real-time access to communications. And we determined that we think this is the guy. He's in his car on a highway in the county in the middle of nowhere and presumably headed back home, which is a couple of counties from the city of Milwaukee where he had been on the internet cafe going from this one to this one to this one. And we box him in in what we call a felony stop. We take a bunch of cars and you drive him on the highway and he's driving. And then you pull next to him and behind him and in front of him and beside him. And then you all slow down. He's either going to get in an accident hitting one of your cars or he's going to slow down. So it's a felony stop. It's hard to do. It's one of those things you train for at the FBI Academy. And it's the luxury of having enough cars out there to do it. He gets stopped and we get him out of the car and put him in one of our cars. And sitting in the back seat of that car is one of our hostage negotiators
0: mm.
2: who has this fine-tuned skill at, interrogation and so then what you're doing is you're not saying did you eat the cookies and you're not saying how did you like the taste of the cookies instead you're saying we know that this woman is older and we're concerned about her health you're not even asking him if he took her now you're just asking him if he's treating her well
0: wow yeah got ya.
2: so That's that second question and that third question. And that's how you do a good interrogation, because if you know the facts, don't ask them to say something that you already know. I want to take a moment to tell you about my podcast, Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage. In 1984, a woman named Phyllis Cottle was abducted in broad daylight, tortured and left to die in a burning car in Akron, Ohio. At the time, I was a rookie reporter covering this horrific story. Since then, I've reported every kind of crime imaginable. I've been able to leave most of them at work, but not this one. The one that buried itself under my skin and stayed put.
1: Phyllis Cottle was a badass woman, and I want to tell you her story. A production of Evergreen Podcasts and signature title of the Killer Podcast Network. You can find Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage wherever you get your podcasts. Discover
2: more
0: great true crime and paranormal programming at killerpodcast.com. Have you ever felt that pang of disappointment when you couldn't add a ticket to your collection because it was digital? Or maybe you just lost it? Well, stubforge.com is here to change that. Imagine this. Tickets that not only look, but feel like the real deal. Because each ticket from Stubforge is printed on the same quality stock that Ticketmaster uses and printed with genuine ticket printers. It's like holding a piece of the concert, the game or the show right in your hands. But Stubforge isn't just about replacing tickets. With the easy-to-use interactive designer, you can create custom tickets for anything from concerts to sports games, pregnancy announcements Parties. Why not make your invitations stand out with tickets that are as unique as your event? And if you're trying to complete a back catalogue of missing tickets, StubForge offers bulk discounts to make it both easy and affordable. With StubForge, you can once more give your loved ones physical tickets and see their eyes light up instantly at the best gift you can give. So whether you're looking to reignite your ticket collection, craft the perfect gift, or send the coolest invites, head over to StubForge.com. Start creating today and see how StubForge makes every ticket a story worth saving. Visit StubForge.com and start making tickets today. Was there any point in a case like that where you would be thinking, oh we should just follow him because he will lead us to the kidnapper. Is there not a risk that if he clams up, you can lose the victim, but how do you weigh that up? Like you must be weighing all of these crazy decisions up all at the same time.
2: Yeah, we did. All right. I mean, we did, we had been where he lived and we did not have the probable cause to search
0: his place. Okay. Right.
2: So remember what I said earlier, time is of the essence in an investigation and especially in a kidnapping. So since time is of the essence, we had to make a decision if we stopped him and we put a hostage negotiator with him who could talk to him and get him to admit some things, we would have the probable cause we need to do anything that we needed. And we might find out if she's alive and where she is.
0: So tell me, I can't stand it. Tell me. So what happened in the backseat of the car? There's a hostage negotiator there. How does that run?
2: He tells our hostage negotiator, Dale, that she's okay. He tells her she's okay, so we don't know if that's true, right? But he tells her she's okay because he's wanting to say something to make our hostage negotiator happy. Remember, people generally want you to like them and want you to help them. Mm -hmm. And you know, if I was in that situation at that moment, maybe when this guy got in the car, I might have said, "Hi, you know, I'm Catherine Schweit." Just all other things aside, just tell me that she's alive, and he would not expect that to be what would be asked. So he would say. Yeah, yeah, she's alive, right? Because now he's saying, I'm not a murderer.
0: Oh, yes, of course. didn't even think about that.
2: Yeah, you have to think about what they're going to say. I snagged the guy and he ended up in federal prison once because he admitted to taking a million dollars from clients, but not telling the IRS. So he didn't report it <laughs> on his taxes. And the reason he admitted to me is I said, I said well, we know you're making some money and the IRS, you know, they like that. And he said, if you don't tell the IRS, I'll tell you right now. Yeah, I took a million dollars. <laughs> so, oh, wow. so I just mean, confessed right oh, in front of me, right? Amazing. So criminals, a lot of kidneys upstairs, not yeah. a lot of brain action, yeah, right? And I we used that. to always say, if you could arrest them for being stupid. <laughs> so, but you can't, I, unfortunately you can't. So while they drove back towards this town where this guy lived, and where the jail was. On their way back, it was the negotiator's job to get enough information out of this guy to know where the woman was. And in the process, he was able to find out that astonishingly, she was alive and on the property. It was March in Wisconsin, which means it cold. was in the 20s and 30s. Yeah. Uh, 30 degrees. I don't know what that is in Celsius. But, but we just know it's
0: cold, right?
2: Below freezing. Yeah. Below freezing. So, wait, what's freezing for you? Zero? zero. <laughs> okay, so it was below zero. Yeah. How's that? And it's very cold, but below zero here would be whew, bad. It would be Minnesota. Quite so insane. Minnesota, they talk like that. Just saying. Some of them. So she was on the property in a trailer that holds two or three <gasps> snowmobiles, wow. chained to the floor. And he had been running a propane tank with the door cracked open. To keep the trailer a little bit warm, which could have killed her. Yeah. And he was taking to her one McDonald's cheeseburger every day for food.
0: Oh my gosh, that poor woman.
2: When it started, she was like 88 pounds Mm. and 88 years old, right? And as soon as we knew where she was, our SWAT team was there, kidnapped on Sunday. Monday, we get involved. Tuesday, we're still looking. We have these exchanges over ransom notes and things like that. Wednesday, we're like searching for a dead body and it's in the field. We're walking, thinking nobody survives a kidnapping after days. It's very yeah. unusual. And right. so, while this massive manhunt is out looking for her body, any place in the ground that's been disturbed in March, right, is pretty obvious. And on Thursday, we follow this lead. I'm in the command post. We are hearing the transmissions over our internal radios and they're saying, you know we're here we're on the property and then we hear noises they take like a gun butt and they knock the lock off of the trailer and they and we hear them say over the radio she's alive she's alive she's alive so i know i still i still 20 years later i get all teared up about it because oh, yeah best day of my fbi career so oh,
0: my yeah. god Oh, sorry. (laughs) Listen, I mean, it's amazing because people are listening to this right now and they probably can't see you, but I've never seen you so emotional and that's the job, right? Yeah. It shows you how it works. That's the thing
2: is, you know, she's alive, she's alive. And I have to tell you the funny postscript to it, now that you've seen me all tear up, sorry about that, um, is that she told us later that when he would throw a cheeseburger in, there for her, she would hold on to it until it got ice cold. She would use it to keep her fingers warm. And so, she's a tough woman. And when the SWAT guys got there, (laughs) she said, first words out of her mouth, what took you so long?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, my gosh.
2: So, yeah, she's
0: tough. She's amazing. I I don't think I'll ever look at a cheeseburger again and think of that
2: story. (laughs) I think of it every time I look at it, every time I see a McDonald's and I think of that, those little cheeseburger wrappers. And I think, yeah, that was it. You know, but it really was the interrogation. It was knowing how to ask the questions quickly and ask the right questions. It was the confidence of the sheriff's office to call me and say, we have these pieces and we don't know how to put them together. We had like 50 agents out there that afternoon. And by Thursday, evening, that woman was safe, right? By Friday night, I was up all night. I had to write all the paperwork for headquarters and it was all sent back and everybody had their weekend. So Amazing.
0: Absolutely so yeah, it was amazing. a great story. I'm so glad that I asked that question at the beginning. I mean... The <laughs> no, I'm not
2: because I feel bad that I got all teared
0: up. I'm sorry. <laughs> right. I mean, every right to get teared up. That was an incredible, incredible story. Tell us the end... Of the story, though, what happened to the kidnapper?
2: So he was actually a foreign national and he'd been in the States for a long time. But because he was a foreign national, there are protocols. In fact, he went to jail for kidnapping with a order. We had to notify his embassy, of course, that we'd arrested him. And then he ended up going to jail for kidnapping and other charges with a caveat that when he was released from jail, he would be deported back to his home country. So he missed his chance to be in America,
0: Wow, but she was
2: wow. she was alive and kicking and and lived for many more years after that.
0: Oh, that's such a great story, and hopefully the husband noticed that she'd returned home. <laughs> I think so oh. <laughs> Well, that has been an amazing story and it's given me a little bit of an idea that perhaps we need to do a few more bonus episodes, just digging a bit deeper into some of those really interesting cases that you've covered in your super fascinating career. Would you be up for that? Mm, Maybe so. No more tears. Oh, (laughs) come on. You're allowed to cry. That was a really good
2: outcome that
0: none of us thought. What's going to happen? It's really interesting. Sometimes the stories that people end up breaking down over aren't the ones where you think they're going to break down over them. Like we've spoken to people on this podcast so many times and the stories that often get me and the people are the ones that have good outcomes. You know, when I interviewed
2: Christina Anderson, uh, she was the most seriously wounded survivor at the Virginia Tech. And we became friends and we've spoken at conferences together. She has spoken so many times in the 20 years since Virginia Tech, and she rarely breaks down. She's very composed. She's got her own foundation. She speaks all the time. So, you know, presumably she would be able to hold it all together, so to speak, right? But when I interviewed her, which was really touching, she said she was talking about not the shooting, not the shooter, not her classmates. She was talking about the law enforcement officers who saved her. The people who came to her aid, carried her out of the building. She was a shot in her French class on the second floor of Norris Hall. She was shot three times. They carried her down the steps over other people. Her picture was plastered all over the front page of newspapers, all over the United States, probably the world. And she was set in the grass and then picked up eventually and put in an ambulance and taken to the hospital. And she breaks down when she talks about those law enforcement officers. She said they saved my life. She can't. She can't help it. She gets emotional. We get emotional when we think about it because the because so many things can go wrong. I mean, you know, there was a teacher at Columbine High School who bled out in the school. They couldn't
0: get to him fast enough. It's those moments that when people are actually confronted with probably the most horrific things. Yeah. And then there's a glimmer of humanity and hope pokes through. Yeah. That, I think that's, that's right. Humanity really, is a good word. Yeah. You know, that's what pulls at you, isn't it?
2: Yeah, definitely. I think you can't be in this business that I'm in if you only see the negative. You have to see the positive. And I think the good things are the things that you remember and they're the things that make you tear up. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. You sneak your own interrogation (laughs) techniques.
0: (laughs) Oh...